Uh, we're going to be back in 1 Samuel today, and we're going to be in 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. Um, and the title of the message today is God's Vision. Have you guys ever gone to an art museum before? Yeah. Raise your hand if you've ever gone to an art museum. Who's never gone to an art museum? Okay, all right, for sure. Well, if you ever go, uh, there, there are some museums that... Uh, uh, you know, they ha- they're modern art museums. Have you ever been to a modern art museum? Or sometimes they have like different sections, right? Uh, you know, it, 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 sometimes they can be a little boring depending on which museum. Some are like pretty cool. Uh, I, I, got, I got to tell you, you might not think so now. But, uh, and some of the paintings, and especially uh, more of like the modern art type stuff, it, sometimes it's, uh, it's up to interpretation, right? Where you can have, maybe you've seen this in movies too, where you can have one per, or you can have two people looking at the same painting and someone's like, oh, I see an elf. And the other one's like, no, I see, I see, you know, a sun or something. And you're like, wait, how how are those one painting, two different interpretations, right? It's because some people may may see things differently and it's, and it's simply based upon how they see something. Or maybe you've ever seen like a painting where up close, uh, it just looks like a bunch of pixels or it's just, you know, a bunch of circles or little squares. And then, and then you start getting back and, you, and, and the picture with your eyes, it starts focusing and you can see, oh wait, no, this is actually something. And, and it's all dependent upon the perspective, right? Or maybe clouds. You guys ever seen a cloud? Uh, maybe you're that person that's you, you're always like, oh, that's like a dolphin. Do you see the dolphin where that's its head? And maybe, maybe you're the one that sees things in the clouds and then someone else is like, no, you're crazy. Like, that's just a cloud, right? But it's, it's all about perspective. It's all about how someone sees something. And today, hence the title of the message, we're gonna take a look at how God sees, okay? We're gonna talk about God's perspective and ultimately God's vision, how he sees things. How does God look at you? How does God look at people? What, what does he look for? Well, we're going to be answering those questions today. Uh, if you were with us last Sunday, we were in 1 Samuel 13 and 15, uh, which talked about Saul's sin, right? We saw how uh, Saul partially obeyed the Lord, which was really complete disobedience. We saw because of Saul's pride and selfishness that God actually rejected him as king. Do you remember that? Well, here's some context if you uh, were kind of uh, out last Sunday. Uh, We saw in chapter 13 that Samuel tells Saul on behalf of the Lord, he looks at Saul and he says, I've actually already found your replacement. And in verse 14 of chapter 13, Samuel tells Saul that the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And does anyone remember who that man is? Is David, right? That, that God has actually already been prepping and planning to replace Saul. And this shows us that, that Saul was a man that the people chose, but not what the Lord wanted. And in contrast, David is God's pick. That the whole reason was not because David, uh, you know, looked better for, as a king, or, and, and Saul didn't look as good as a king. It was all about the heart. And that's why David is described as a man after God's own heart. Meaning that Saul wanted what Saul wanted, right? He's like, well, this is what I wanted in this situation. But when we see David come on the scene, he's going to be a man who wants what God wants in the situations of life. There's a big difference. The second kind of point of context is actually, uh, is, is that this passage that we're looking at about uh, God calling a man after his own heart is actually mentioned in Acts chapter 13 as well. If you notice on the screen, it says that, 
And when he had removed him, talking about Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, who will do all my will. You see, having a heart for God is all about doing what God desires and what God wants. And as we come to this portion, Samuel is actually going to be the main kind of a person that we look at today. Uh, And if you remember, back in chapter 13, the Bible said that Samuel was old. And now we're in chapter 16, So now Samuel is really old, okay? So I don't want you to have this like young guy in your mind. Samuel is is really old because if he was old four, four chapters ago, by this time, he is really old. But God's not done with him yet. And so as we get into our text today, I want you to think of today as David's origin story. You guys ever seen Star Wars? Yes? Yeah, some of you got, some of you perked, perked right up. Some of you were like this, you're like, you're like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, kind of bored today. And then I said Star Wars and you just perked right up. Have you guys ever seen Solo? Okay, remember, okay, remember, listen, remember how that's like, that's like the origin story of, of Han Solo, right? Meaning that it's kind of the, the pre-story. You see, you and I usually think of David as this mighty king. Well, what we get to see today is his origin story. We get to see his backstory of him becoming king. This is the first time in the Bible, uh, in, our, in our chapter today, that David comes on the scene. So let's pray and we'll get into our text today. All right? You want to pray with me? All right. Lord, we come before you and We thank you that we can have this time in your word, Lord, that um, whatever it might have been of this last week, whether it was a bunch of homework in school or a bunch of fun, Lord, no matter what happened, good, bad, or ugly, Lord, we're here this morning to seek after you. We are here to hear from you, and Lord, truly, we want to know what you want for our lives, and, and Lord, we need your ability to do that, and so Lord, as we read your word, We ask that you would help us as we leave this place to do your word. We love you and look to you now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to go through these 13 verses kind of point by point. So we're not going to read the whole thing together, uh, but you can write down uh, in in our first point today is going to be step by step. And we're going to see this in the first three verses. We're going to see how God leads Samuel step by step. So you guys have your Bibles open? All right, look at verse one with me, and we're just gonna read down to verse three. It says this, chapter 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer or a cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. 
So chapter 16 opens up here, and it comes off where we ended last time with Saul's second sin in chapter 15. Remember that epic end to chapter 15 where Saul has to kill King Agag? The Bible says that he hacked him in pieces because Saul wasn't willing to obey the righteous command of God. Do you guys remember that? That crazy movie type ending. Well, now chapter 16 opens up and it opens up with the Lord asking Samuel a question and giving a directive. That if we look at verse one, I want you to put in your note taking, we see chapter 16 opens up with God asking Samuel a question and giving Samuel a directive. Remember, we, we see in verse one, we just read it, that God asks Samuel, how long? He says, how long would Samuel grieve over Saul? Remember, because God had rejected Saul as king, but this had all kind of just had happened. You see, Samuel is in a state of grief. He is in a state of mourning over the nation because he has seen who their king is, which right now it's Saul. That Saul is still in that position and he has seen Saul's sin and he, is, and he knows what this means for the nation. Yet what God is beginning to communicate to Samuel is that he is not done. That yes, Saul is wicked and evil and God has rejected him as king. And he asks him that question, Samuel, how long? I got more for you. You see, even when we think the end is here, God is always working. We might come to the end of a season or the end of a time and we say, well, you know, and we're so fixed and focused. You see, where Samuel's attention was, which makes sense, his attention was on can't, you know, uh, grieving over the sin of Saul, knowing what this is gonna, how this is going to affect the nation. But I love that God asked this question, but then he also gives a directive. If you see, he says, go. He says, fill your horn with oil. Go, and I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among your sons. You see, he, he gives Samuel a, what you can note down, a general direction, okay? A general direction. He gives him the first step. He says, I want you to go to Bethlehem, and in Bethlehem, there's a guy named Jesse, and out of this guy's sons, I'm going to show you who's going to take Saul's place. He says, I have provided or selected myself a king among his sons. It's amazing to look at this verse. I want you to think about this. What we went over last week, that even though Saul was in this place of a king, God knew all along that he was the wrong man. And so behind the scenes, God had been at work. He had been preparing one of the sons of Jesse for something great. Let me, let me illustrate for you. Have you guys ever been to a play of any kind? Maybe you've been to New York on Broadway. Who, who's ever been to New York City Broadway play of some kind? Okay, or maybe here you went to the Pantages Theater in Hollywood, or maybe it was something just at a school. Uh, either way, uh, plays are amazing. The amount of people that go into pulling that thing off is way more than meets the eye. It's way more than you might think. Uh, for example, that you only might see the people on the stage, right? You see the people, uh, oh, I see, you know, uh, this, this star actor and these people that are dancing. But remember, when that stage goes black or that curtain goes over the stage, that there are 
a lot of people stage prepping, right? They're, they're getting ready for the next scene and they're moving things and they're prepping and, and people are changing costumes. Well, in a similar fashion, you and I see what's happening on the outside, right? We, we see what's happening now. Maybe it's in our life or in our country or what, whatever it might be. And we only see that. But you see, God is always, you need to know this, God is always behind the stage and he's, and he's in control and he's working things according to his plan. You see, though that the world might seem like it's falling apart, according to the Bible, the Bible tells us that it's all falling into place, that God is behind the scenes working and he was preparing one of the sons of Jesse. And then I want you to notice in verse two, look in your Bibles. Samuel then responds to God, right? God gives him the directive and the question. And then he actually responds with a question. And in verse two, he says, how could I go? He says, God, how, how am I gonna go? Because Samuel's reasoning was that if, he, if Saul caught wind, that Samuel was gonna try to find his replacement, how do you think Saul would feel? He'd be like, uh, no, that's not happening. Samuel, I know you're a prophet and all, but I'm gonna kill you, right? And this was, this was Samuel's fear. Uh, and, and it was reasonable. I don't necessarily think it was out of a place of unbelief, um, but God was gonna teach him through this. You see, I love that what we see in verses two and three, that when Samuel asked this question, and it's a reasonable question, right? He says, look, how am I going to go? Because Saul is still king, God. He still has a lot of power, and he's not going to be very happy if he catches wind of this. And what we see God do with Samuel's question, rather than dismiss it, rather than get mad at Samuel, God gives further and more specific direction to him. You see, I want you to note in verse two, he then responds with further direction. He says, take the cow and go and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And he gives him further direction. You see, I love that God doesn't come to him with anger or frustration. He's not like, Samuel, just, just do what I say. Don't ask any questions. And I think you and I, we get to see the heart of God here. You see what? God gives Samuel is not just a little more instruction, but he gives him a little more assurance. Do you know what assurance is? He gives him a little more confidence. He says, look, I'm going to show you what you shall do. I'm going to be with you. You're not in this alone. And he says, I will show you what you shall do. That as you go, step by step, I'm going to lead you. And I love that God does this. He says, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. You know, for me, I truly see that of the, the graciousness of our heavenly father here. It's important that for you and I, that we realize that this is how God works in our life. All right. God will lead you step by step. He wants us to obey the step that he gives us to trust in his plan. And then the Bible describes that God's going to lead us as we go. However, for you and I, because God leads step by step, this can be frustrating for you and I. You want to know why? This can be frustrating for us because you and I, in our nature, just the way that we're wired, we want to know the whole plan, right? We don't want to just know one step. We want to know, okay, well, what, what are the details? God you're, God, you're telling me you want me to do this, 
But what's that going to be like? When I get there, what are they going to say? What is that going to be like? What is this going to be like? And we want to know the whole plan, right? And before we're willing to step out, we say, God, no, we want to know everything. But you see, you and I, we want to walk by sight and not by faith. That's our natural inclination. That's our natural tendency. We say, no, uh, the whole faith thing, we might not say it, but we say, no, until I see it, God, I'm not going to do it. Until I see how it's all going to come together. But the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that you and I are to not walk by sight, but we are to walk by faith. And so God tells Samuel, he doesn't reject his concern or his question. He says, okay, when you go, and so it's not like, you know, super like, oh my gosh, Samuel's here to anoint a king. Tell them that you are there to sacrifice to the Lord. And that was not a lie. That was something that was true. And God says, as you obey me, if you actually take the step to go to Bethlehem, actually, uh, you know, invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice, then I will show you the next step. And I love that God is always working behind the scenes. You know, I wonder how often you and I, that we miss what God would want to do in our life because we want all the details up front, right? We know God's maybe telling us to do something, to step out in faith and talk to someone. And we say, well, God, can you tell me like how that's gonna go? Like, are they gonna reject me? Is this gonna go the, the way that I think? You see, I think God doesn't give us all the steps at once because you and I, you know how we are. Why don't we try to skip to the, the, the last step Right? We know, okay, God says, okay, here's my 10-step plan for your life. You're going to do this, and then step two, you're going to do this. Step three, we'd be like, nah, I don't want those steps. Can we just get to step 10? Because I want to be there already. I want to already have my, my dream job in this place and have this. And we would jump, and then we would miss what God has for us all along the way. You see, God is smart. He's God. And he knows how you and I work. And so God leads us step by step. Why? You might say, well, why, why can't I just get to where God wants me to become? Because it is through the journey of life that God is teaching you faith. That's how it works. God is teaching you to depend on him. God is teaching you to trust him. He, he is molding you through the journey of your life now the, uh, to become the man and the woman that he wants you to become. But you might be thinking in junior high, you're like, man, can I just get to high school already? Can I just get my driver's license already? I'm so tired of having to have my mom drive me and, and I wanna be able to have freedom and go where I want. Can I just be in college already? Can I just be married already? Can I just be this and that and have a truck and have this and whatever it might be? And we wanna skip the steps, don't we? We just wanna skip. We're, we're never content. We're just, oh, what's the next thing? What is God telling you the next step is for you? It's not to get to high school. God's using your life now. Even this, this current crisis craziness that we're in as a nation, as a world, he is using you being in seventh or eighth grade. He is using that faith journey to mold and shape you. Don't rush the process. God leads you and I step by step. But as we go, okay, know that there are going to be times of frustration. Know there's going to be times that we might have questions for God. 
And some people might teach that if you question God, it's sin. You see, if you begin to act in an unfaithful way and and aren't willing to take that step, then yeah. But you see, God's not scared of the questions you have. You see, for, for Samuel, he doesn't respond saying, you shouldn't have asked that. No, he says, okay, if you need a little more, Samuel, I'll give you a little more. This is the plan. But sometimes we don't even ask the Lord. Guys, he is our heavenly father after all. Sometimes he, he, I, I think we look at him as too disconnected from us. God is here, close, personal. The Bible describes that God is in you and he's in, there be, and he's in you because he wants to lead you step by step. Make sense? And that's how he was leading Samuel. We come to our, our, our second point. There we go. And we're gonna see this in verses four through 10. And we're gonna kind of see the, the next step that, that happens. We're gonna see that Samuel actually obeys what God asked him. We're gonna see him go to Bethlehem. And we're gonna see that God is teaching Samuel something very important. And he's teaching him to look without his eyes. And that'll make a lot more sense in a moment. Check out verse four. You guys tracking today? Yes? yes? You guys focused? All right. This is, this is big. God has some really awesome things I believe he wants to teach all of us today. Verse four, it says, so Samuel did what the Lord said. He went to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming. They were freaked out. And they said, do you come peaceably? And he said, Samuel, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then he says, sanctify yourselves and come to me to the sacrifice. Come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse six, so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and this is Jesse's first son and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his physical appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse eight, so Jesse called Abinadab, another one of his sons, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass before, pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And so, of course, we see that Samuel obeys the Lord. He goes to Bethlehem. The Bible describes that upon his arrival in Bethlehem, the elders of the city are like freaked out because this is Samuel. He's like the biggest known guy in the entire nation. It wasn't every day that you would get a visit from the prophet, the priest, Samuel, to this little tiny town known as Bethlehem. And so they're, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of freaked out. And they say, wait, are, are you here? Like, is anything wrong? Do you, do you come in peace? And then Samuel's like, in peace I come. Okay, and, and so Samuel's there and he's like, no, no, I, I'm not here for anything bad. I'm not here to, you know, think about it. I'm sure that story about how he just hacked up King Agag kind of went around, all right? I'm sure people were like pretty intimidated by Samuel. He wasn't a guy that messed around. But he's there and he says, no, no, I, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And, and I specifically, I really want Jesse and his sons to be at the sacrifice. And he, and he tells them, he says, I, I, want, I want you guys to sanctify yourselves. Did you guys see that in verse five uh, and, and six, I believe? 
And in this kind of context, that word sanctified just means that they were to prepare themselves to worship the Lord, that they were to purify themselves. They, they were, there were certain Old Testament uh, criteria that men and women were to uh, perform and to do before they could worship the Lord. Uh, and that, that, that's a study for a different day. But at this moment, when they're getting ready to worship God, the Bible describes to us, check out verse six, that at that moment, Jesse and his sons enter. And the first one, the first one of the sons that he sees is a guy named Eliab. Everyone say Eliab. You know, it's kind of funny. I was thinking uh, and reading this passage this week, like, you know, how there's some Bible names that we read and it's like, that's a weird name. And then there's others who are like, oh yeah, that's totally normal. And you see like Jesse and you're like, oh yeah, Jesse, that's a normal name. And then you see a name like Eliab and you're like, that's, that's like, sounds like an alien name, right? But anyway, that's a conversation for a different day. But Eliab, Eliab was the firstborn son uh, of Jesse, okay? And in our culture, it might not be a really big deal. But back then, the firstborn was a huge deal. We see even now in the Bible that so often uh, that the firstborn has great significance. And raise your hand if you're the firstborn in your family. Raise your hand if you're not. All right, so now it's like, okay, it's not, you know, not a huge deal. There's not too much like pros and cons, right? Um, I mean, you might, you might have, you're like, I, I'm so glad I'm the first. Some of you might say like, oh, I'm really glad I'm not the first. Um, but whatever the, the, the case might be. In the Bible, this was a big deal. Think about Exodus. Remember all the craziness that happens in Exodus? Remember that plague that specifically killed all the firstborn sons of those in Egypt? Remember, there's something significant about that. Or think about uh, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn. He's the one that had the birthright and the blessing because he was simply born first. Now we know that Jacob ended up stealing that birthright and blessing and all that stuff. But you see, to be the firstborn came with a position of prestige and, and of great status and inheritance. Um, think about how, uh, you know, the succession of kings and queens works, right? Think about in England that the queens, it goes to her firstborn, whether it's a son or, or daughter, and, and they will be the one who actually inherits the throne. If you're the secondborn, uh, unless something happens to the firstborn or he abdicates the throne, uh, you're up next. Does that make sense? And so we, we still see some of it within our world, uh, but back then this was a big deal. It seems that this guy Eliab was the firstborn. He, he probably was the most matured. It seems like there was something physical about him that it appeared that he was, he was better than even the other sons. Maybe he was the, the biggest and the strongest. There was something about his appearance that seemed kingly-like. That, that, that Samuel, in verse 6, would look at him and say, and, and notice he doesn't say this out loud. I want you to look in your Bibles. This is important. What we see in verse 6 is not something that Samuel says out loud. It's something that Samuel thinks. That in his mind, he sees this guy. You know, in my mind, I imagine Eliab just jacked, right? Just, just like, man, massive, 6'4". 300 pounds of pure muscle and just, just massive, right? Big beard, just, just gnarly dude. And so, and so Samuel sees him. He's like, well, firstborn, like just right away, Samuel has this quick thought. This is the guy. Well, this must be the guy that I'm here to see. And right then, 
right then, Samuel has this thought about the guy, right? And, and he's like, okay, this is the most obvious choice. Have you guys ever been like team captain uh, when you guys are playing sports, right? And you get to, you know, there's two team captains and you get to pick sides and you're like, you know, if you're playing basketball, I was talking to uh, someone before service about basketball. You know, if you're playing basketball and you get to be team captain, is your first choice going to be someone that's, you know, four feet tall? It's like, no, no, your first choice would be someone that's taller, bigger, faster, more athletic. You know, oh, I've seen that guy shoot. It would be based upon their performance in that way. It would, and if you didn't know their performance, you would go based upon looks. But as maybe you've played sports before, sometimes the people that look good, they ain't that good, right? Um, I've definitely experienced that. And, and yet we see in this that, that Samuel has this thought, but what we're going to see that is that Samuel jumps the gun. Do you know that saying? To jump the gun? It comes from, you know, think about a race when they have, right, the gun that goes off and you get penalized, right? You, you get disqualified if you go before that happens. Or maybe you're more f- familiar with football, right? Anyone can think about uh, football, a false start, right? That you, you went too early. It, it, was, it was too quick. And Samuel was too quick. He doesn't wait for the Lord to speak. Remember, remember that God told Samuel, hey, when you go and you start to see the sons, he says, I will show you. You see, at this point, God has not spoken to Samuel, who's the guy. And, but Samuel seems confident in his assumption, which can be a dangerous thing. And this is where we get to the, the prize verse in this passage, and that's verse seven. You see, right in that moment when Samuel has that thought of, this must be the guy, that's when God speaks to Samuel. Not audibly, but it, but it seems that, that Samuel would have heard this internally, that God speaks to Samuel. Look at verse seven. Verse seven, he says, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That the Lord speaks to Samuel ever, I believe so softly, but very direct. I don't think that Samuel like heard like a yelling voice in his, right, in his mind, where he's like, don't, don't do that. No, I think it was a very soft and very direct do not look at his appearance, and so on and, and so forth of what God spoke to him. Verse seven is the one, guys, that today you wanna mark up in your Bible. It is the one that you wanna highlight and remember and write down and put uh, on a sticky note on your mirror. Verse seven is the big one today. And in verse seven, I wanna break it down for you uh, in three different ways, okay? That the Lord speaks to Samuel and first we see that he gives instruction, okay? God gives, firstly, instruction. He says, don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature. So was Samuel just supposed to keep his eyes closed? Do you think like when, when, he, when he gets to Bethlehem, he's, a, he's just not supposed to look? You see that? Of course not. That wasn't it. But he was not supposed to make a decision based upon appearance or physical stature. What do, what do those two things mean? Well, you can note down that the word appearance is, is just how someone looks, right? It's the visual form of someone. It's what you can see of someone with your physical eyes, right? That you see them and you see they're tall or short or, um, you know, brown hair or blonde hair or whatever it might be. And so he says, don't look at the appearance, the outward appearance, 
or the physical stature. This is, that, this is their height. Okay? This is the distance from the foot to the top of the head. And he says, don't look at that. You see, people back then, and we even still do it today, uh, that, and especially back then of kings, they, they would expect them to be tall. We know of Saul in the Bible that he was potentially the tallest person uh, in Israel. That's what people would look to. Now, yet we see that uh, Saul didn't have what was needed on the inside. And so for you and I, what, what does this mean? Because this instruction, I believe, is also for you and I as believers, as followers of the Lord. Are you and I to close our, our eyes when we look at someone? Are you and I not allowed to think about if someone is tall or short, if they have blonde hair or black hair? Like if someone is trying to describe someone else, you know, maybe you, you forgot someone's name or someone else that's trying to describe you, someone, and they're like, you know, they're, they're, they're a little taller. You know, they have, you know, they have, uh, you know, they have a beard and, and whatever it might be. Are you just supposed to act like, no, I've never actually noticed. Are, are you just supposed to like act like you just don't see? No. You see, but you and I are to be like the Lord. It's not that we're to like ignore those things. Like we, we can notice, that's fine. But you and I aren't to make judgments and decisions based upon those things, that those factors should not apply. Does that make sense? So God gives instructions. Secondly, you can note down that God gives information. He says, I have refused him about Eliab. He says, no, I've refused him. You see that word refused, I want you to note down, it means to reject with displeasure, okay? To reject with displeasure, meaning that what Samuel was about to do, it's not that he would have just like picked the wrong guy, like, oh, the, oh you know, I got the wrong guy. It's that he would have chosen the completely wrong guy. That Eliab was not only just not the guy that God wanted, God says, I have rejected him. I have refused him, that he is not the one to be king. This guy, Eliab, we actually find out a little more information about him in the next chapter. Do you know what the next chapter is in the Bible? Chapter 17? That's David and Goliath. It's awesome. And in the story of David and Goliath, you know, right? There, there's the Philistines, there's the Israelites, and, and David is sent out by Jesse to, hey, go bring food to your brothers who are actually at war. And so David gets there, and he gets there, and he sees this giant Philistine cursing God, and he says, hey, aren't we going to do something about this chump, right? Aren't we going to do something and go get him? And then his brother, Eliab, specifically is mentioned in chapter 17, and Eliab actually begins to make fun of David. He begins to accuse David of pride and childless, uh, childishness, childishness, there you go. Uh, and, and we actually see where Eliab is actually uh, not just the wrong guy, he's, he's not He's the complete wrong guy. And so we get a little more, more information here. The third thing is that God gives insight. God gives insight. He says, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Remember, I've told you guys before that whenever you're reading scripture on your own and you come to a part that begins to describe how God is, that's a part of the Bible that you want to spend a little more time on. When the Bible describes that maybe God is slow to anger or that God is rich in mercy, you want to stop and really think about that. And this is one of those parts. 
that we get an insight into the very nature and character of who God is. That God makes judgments and decisions based upon the heart, nothing else. That when people get to heaven and they're standing before God, and the Bible describes that they're going to be standing before God naked. They're not going to have their clothes. They're not going to have anyone to hide behind. That you and I, every one of us, will stand before God alone, which is an awesome and terrifying reality. For the believers, we don't have to fear uh, because it's going to be good for you and I. But when God sees us and when God sees any person, he's not going to look at, oh, well, you know, they were super successful in life. And so they get to come to heaven. It doesn't work like that. It's about the heart. God is always looking at the heart. If someone's appearance is on the outside, then where is someone's heart? It's on the inside. And that is what we should be concerned with. You might say, well, well, how do we know that? Well, we better be very connected to the Lord. You see, God is altogether different than us and in a very good way. I want you to note down Isaiah chapter one, uh, Isaiah chapter one, verse three. Sorry, Isaiah chapter 11. It says this about God. He says, he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. You know, I'm so thankful that the God that you and I worship and serve, there's no judgment based upon how you look, how tall or short we are, how our hair is or anything else. I don't know how you feel or think about your physical appearance, but that is not what God is concerned with. Now, does that mean you should just stop combing your hair and brushing your teeth? No, the Bible says that you are the temple of the living God, right? That God dwells inside of you. And so we should take care of ourselves, But for some people, their appearance becomes the main focus of their life. That when people pursue a a, a husband or a wife, that that's the main thing that they're concerned with. But you and I are Christians and we are to be like the Lord. We are to be concerned with the inside rather than the out. You see, Samuel needed a new prescription. He needed God's vision. God needed to correct Samuel's vision to be aligned with his so that he could use him. And we see this take place. And so uh, what we had just read a moment ago that, you know, Eliab was not the only one, that he passed by. And then six more of Jesse's sons passed by one after the other. And now Samuel gets it, right? We don't see him make the same mistake, uh, mistake twice, uh, we, we, we see him actually, now he, he gets it, right? He's like, okay, no, that's not the one. I'm gonna wait on the Lord. Nope, that's not the one. And he begins to understand the lesson that God was seeking to teach him. And now our last three verses together, we see in verses 11 through 13, we see the underdog. And this is where we see David uh, truly come into the picture. We see David as the underdog, okay? Starting in verse 11, Read down to verse 13. It says, And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him down, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he, David, was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah, which was his hometown. And so at first, right, Samuel must have assumed before that these were all the sons, right? He told Jesse specifically, get your sons, invite them to the sacrifice that we're going to have together. And so a reasonable assumption would be, hey, these seven sons, uh, you know, at first, this must be all the sons that he has. He wouldn't have thought that Jesse would leave one behind. But then by the time that each one passes by and he's like, wait, God told me that it's one of your sons, yet all seven pass by. What's the deal? Is there any more? Is there someone else that you left out? Was there, is he, is he, what's going on? And so we find out here that Jesse had actually kept back one of his sons who was out tending the sheep. That Samuel tells Jesse, he says, look, we're not going to come down. We're not going to sit down. I ain't leaving until you get him and bring him here. And so Jesse sends for his youngest son, David. And the Bible gives us here actually three descriptions. Look in your Bible. Look at verse 12. We see that uh, he's described as ruddy. Do you see that word? It's kind of a word that we, we don't use. And, it, and actually, the, the Hebrew word is actually very debated among different scholars. Some people think that David potentially had something reddish about him, whether it was a reddish hue or reddish hair. We're not sure. Some people just think it means that David was light in complexion. And so back then in the, in the, you know, in the Middle East, most people were, were darker skinned. And it was considered in the ancient times, because this is like, what, 4,000 years ago, um, or 3,000, can't, can't quite remember off the top of my head at this point. Um, but we see that, you know, in that culture, to be light-complected was something that, uh, you know, was, was attractive because it, it was more abnormal. And so we see that, that he, something about him was potentially light or red. We see the Bible describes that he had beautiful eyes. Uh, that usually talked about that there's something... Uh, about him that was, uh, that he kind of brought the life to the, to the room, right? If he, he walked in, there'd be something that was, there was a, a life about him. That's kind of usually what that means. And, and he was handsome. He, he was a good looking dude, all right? Uh, yet even these descriptions, the Bible describes that he was the underdog. He was the unlikely choice. And here's what I want you to consider. Wait till after, okay? Uh, here's what I want you to consider about David as the underdog, okay? Yes, he was a handsome-looking dude. Uh, he had these beautiful eyes, as the Bible describes. He was good-looking. But this is why he is considered the underdog. It's because he was the youngest. You see, as prestigious as it was to be the firstborn, this, the opposite was true to be the youngest, that David was the youngest of the family. Who, who's the youngest in, in the family? So back then, in that, I'm, I can raise my hand too, I'm the youngest. Back then in that culture, right, it, it would be considered like no one really cares, okay? Now it's like the youngest is usually the spoiled one, right? They get all the attention. Uh, I can say that is true and I love every minute of it. Um, you want to trip out? Do you remember how I shared on Wednesday that Mary was potentially anywhere from age 13 to 16? And that like tripped you guys out? Yeah, that, that can be another conversation. You had to be here on Wednesday. But today, listen... David, scholars think he's anywhere from 10 to 15, okay? So you don't, don't think about David here as like this like, you know, uh, this like man. No, he was a young man, okay? He was like potentially a junior higher or an early high schooler. 
Uh, and, and this is our, our best guess. Um, so he was the youngest, which makes him the underdog, right? Second thing is that he was a shepherd. And you're like, oh, how nice. Like he was with a sheep and he was a shepherd. That's so awesome for him. Okay, guys, this was a job that was given to usually actually servants, which shows us that Jesse's family was a little more on the, the poorer end of things because if they didn't have enough servants, guess who gets to do the grunt work? That is the youngest, right? That it is that to be a shepherd is a hard, laborious job. It's grunt work. And it was a job that was looked down upon. It was considered a dirty job. Have you guys ever seen the show, Dirty Jobs? Okay, this was, this was considered something at the, 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 uh, the bottom of the barrel, uh, that he was the youngest, he was a shepherd, so don't get like something cute in your mind, okay? It was hard, hard work, and it would have gone to the, the bottom of the barrel. The third thing is that he was an outcast. He was an outcast from his family. We see the distance, right, from his family here. That think about Samuel is in town, and, Jesse, and they ask for Jesse and his son specifically, and Jesse just leaves David out in the fields. He doesn't think to get him. He doesn't think to bring him to even just meet Samuel. That would have been like legit. But he, in his mind, he knows like no way, no way Samuel's the one who God's going to pick. We see that he was outcasted from his family. His dad almost seems ashamed from him. We see in the next chapter with David and Goliath that his brothers, you know, look down upon him. Like, what are you doing here? Like, go back with the sheep. Made fun of him. And for these three reasons, we see that, that he was the underdog. Yet despite these three things, as David comes running from the fields, right? That Jesse sends for the servant, tells him to, to bring him in. He's probably dirty and sweaty. That he shows up. And in that very moment that David enters the room, God now speaks to Samuel and says, this is the one. This is the guy. The least likely. The underdog. And so we are told here that Samuel takes his horn of oil and he anoints David and there are two very important details in that last verse. You guys see verse 13? It's the last verse of our text. So I want you to note this, okay? We see two important details. Um, nope, not that one. Oh, I don't think I have it. All right, we'll go back. All right, check out these, these two details, though. It says in verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. You could easily pass over that, but I want you to think about this. His brothers, these strong guys, right, just pass through Samuel, and Samuel's like, nope, not that one. Nope, not that guy. Not that guy either. Mm-mm, not that one. You see, I want you to picture this, okay? David, who's the reject outcast of the family, comes running in, and Samuel, the prophet and the priest, the mighty man of God, steps up, anoints him, and it's in the midst of his brothers, it's almost like a Hollywood type picture again, that they don't even invite him to the sacrifice and feast, yet he was the one. What, what, do you, what kind of thoughts do you think were going through some of the brothers' minds at that moment? Jealousy, anger, and kind of like, what, what are you going to say, right? They couldn't say anything. They were silenced. The other detail in verse 13, it says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David. And this shows us that stamp of approval that David might have been the most despised in his family. I want you to listen to this. He might have been rejected by his family, but God had chosen him. And that's an awesome, awesome thing, guys. And guys, I want you to know 
that God's first choice doesn't always look like our first choice. So often in the Bible, God, this is just how God works. It's something about how God loves to do this. He loves to take the least likely. He loves to take the under God, uh, underdog. He loves to do a lot with a little, right? Think about it. With Gideon, he does a whole lot with 300 men when he could add 30,000. Think about the New Testament. He does a whole lot with 12 guys. God loves to do big things through small means. It's a principle we see from the very beginning. And we get insight in 1 Corinthians when it says this, for you see your calling brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, when God does big things through small things, through small means, when God uses people who are insignificant and little, like maybe you and me today, that you would think, ah, it's, you know, I'm not gonna be anything great. I'm not gonna be used for the kingdom. It's not true. You see, God loves to use the underdog, because at the end of the day, he gets the credit for it, right? He gets the glory. That when God does something really awesome and big through someone really small, like you and me, then he gets all the credit. So you might ask today, well, why David, right? Why not one of his brothers? Well, we see that God, David was a man after God's own heart, which means, okay, to be a man or woman after God's heart is to be a man or woman who cares about what God cares about, who loves what God loves, who hates what God hates, and to know what God desires and to adjust your desires according to his. I want you to note, as we're going to close in just a moment, that David didn't become a man after God's own heart after he was anointed or after he defeated Goliath, or after he became king, or after he became mighty warrior. You see, this was who David was before all those things. The simple phrase that he was a man after God's own heart was the key to the great stories that we read of who David is to become. It's interesting, when you look at the scriptures, David is mentioned more than any other character in the Bible besides Jesus himself, more than Moses, more than Abraham, more than Noah, more than Samuel, that David from Psalms to Old Testament, David is the one that is mentioned over and over and over and again. And I think it's because God wants us to understand, you know, it's not because David was, you know, someone that we should worship, but he was a man after God's heart. And remember guys, that God looks at the heart. David's heart wasn't about himself, but he was in pursuit of God. And when you look, read this, have you guys ever read the Psalms before? Psalms are amazing. And so many of them enable you and I to get insight into who David was. That's why I love Psalm uh, yeah, 63 verse eight. It's a, it's a verse I share with you often because, and it's a Psalm of David where he says, my soul follows close behind you. Or the King James Version says, my soul followeth hard after thee. You see, as we look at the Psalms, you and I get to know David, and it's clear that he was a man that had cultivated a passionate heart for God. 
Let me ask you a question. Where do you think David cultivated that passionate pursuit of God? What location? What, what was he doing? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of Bible scholars believe that, that, that as they look at scriptures and they see David, that the, the man who he became, and notice at what age he became a man after God's own heart, potentially yours. And he did it because the time that he had as the outcast, as, as the one with the, the worst job, as the youngest of the family, that he didn't waste the time just throwing rocks at a tree, that he spent time cultivating a heart after God, writing psalms, singing songs, spending time with the Lord. See, who you are going to become is going to be determined by who you are and what you do now. And I know that some might sound cliche and cheesy, but guys, would you be able to be described as a man or a woman after God's heart? Do you care about what God cares about? Do you want what God wants? It's amazing to me in 2 Chronicles, in our last verse I'm going to share with you, 16.9, that God would say that this would be described about God. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of notice of those who, whose heart is loyal to him. God is, I believe, right now looking at each one of you. He's not looking at your hair. He's not looking at if you did your eyebrows today. Listen, listen, he's looking at your heart. Are you loyal to him? Are you committed to him? And so worship team, as you guys come out, let's remember that God leads us step by step, okay? Let's remember that God sees our heart and that's what he cares about. That's what he's concerned with. And remember that God always chooses the underdog. It's what he does. He chooses the least likely. And so if you ever feel like that, then you're the one that God wants to use. You see, God is searching for those who have this heart after him. And it's, and it's not something that's just gonna happen. You guys realize that? You can hit the lights. You're not just all of a sudden gonna have this, this heart that's after God. It's got to be cultivated. It's gotta be pursued. And something to be worked at. It is a choice. I wanna encourage you to choose him. Lord, we come before you and Lord, may that be our heart. May we choose you. Lord, yes, we're gonna sin, we're gonna mess up. Lord, but we know that you're looking for loyalty. You're looking for commitment and you're, and you're looking because you wanna show yourself strong and on our behalf. You desire to have a man or woman who would, who would follow you and, and to obey you step by step, who would desire what you would desire. And Lord, we just confess our insufficiencies today we confess our sins to you, Lord. We, conf we confess to you today that we don't cultivate our relationship with you like we should. We don't invest as much as we should. Lord, and so we ask for your help. We pray that you would make us like the great man David was. Lord, flaws and mistakes, no doubt, but always willing to repent, always willing to come back. Lord, we want that deepness of loyalty today. And we know that that's not going to happen without you working in us. So we could try as hard as we could, but we need you, God. Every hour, every moment, 
We need more of you. And so, Lord, in this short time that we have together, we look to you. We love you, God. We confess our love publicly and open to you as we sing worship. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.